The opinions expressed on this WebmasterRadio.fm program are those of the host, guests, and callers, and do not reflect those of the staff, management, or advertisers of WebmasterRadio.fm. Any rebroadcast or retransmission of this program without the express written consent of WebmasterRadio.fm is prohibited. From the pinnacle of the media landscape, this is Market Edge. Join your host, Larry Weber, as he discovers the answers from analysts, entrepreneurs, and technologists who are preparing the blueprints for the future of marketing. Hear from those who are taking us to a new age of social media, e-communities, and the blogosphere. Blogosphere. Now, please welcome your host of Market Edge, Larry Weber. Hi, and welcome to Market Edge. I'm your host, Larry Weber, chairman of W2 Group a global marketing services ecosystem organized to help chief marketing officers in their new role as builders of communities and content aggregators. Two of W2 Group companies, Digital Influence Group and RacePoint Group, are leaders in social media marketing in both paid and unpaid media. Today, I'm really excited to be talking about social media and overall chief marketing officer things for educational institutions and publications with Harvard Business School's first Chief Marketing and Communications Officer, Brian Kenny. As CMO, Brian has oversight of the HBS brand globally, including coordinating the planning and implementation of all of the school's marketing, communications, and PR efforts around the world. In the past two and a half years, Brian has changed the century-old marketing tradition of this world-class brand by integrating the new concept of social media, among other platforms. Brian has led multifunctional marketing teams at several global institutions across multiple industries. Prior to Harvard Business School, Brian was the Vice President of Marketing and Communications at Northeastern University, where he engineered a branding and marketing program to help propel the university into the top 100 nationwide. Previously, he oversaw global marketing for management consultancy, the Monitor Group, and led marketing programs for Genuity, a $2 billion internet company. Brian, it's great to have you on Market Edge. Thanks, Larry. It's great to be here. Hey, before we get into some of the more specific questions I have for you that I think the audience would be really interested in, tell me why Harvard Business School thought they needed a chief marketing and communications officer. <laughs> this was a question I, when, I, when I first got the job, I will tell you that even my mother asked me that question. Why does Harvard Business School need uh, a marketing, a chief marketing officer? Uh, you know, I think it's uh, it's indicative of what's been happening more broadly in uh, in higher education over the last 10 to 12 years. There's really been a shift um, in the direction of using marketing as a competitive tool, uh, whereas, you know, maybe prior to that, it, it wasn't, marketing wasn't considered to be appropriate in an educational setting. I mean, it was the value of the education that people should recognize, and, and I think universities thought it was kind of, uh, I don't know, um, classless to be marketing uh, education as a product in that way. But that all started to change really about, uh, as I said, 10 or 12 years ago. And it, it didn't start in the Ivies. It started actually in, in sort of the mid-tier institutions, places like Northeastern University, where I used to be, uh, saw that they needed to find ways to, to make themselves known in other parts of the country and around the world. Uh, and they actually set aside funding for branding and marketing in the traditional sense. And they hired people who had non-academic backgrounds but, but had been successful in marketing in a corporate environment 
and brought them in to bring some of those same skills and experiences to bear in academia that they did in the private sector. So if you look at Harvard Business School, going back now, I've been here for close to three years, uh, I think there was a, you know, a growing sense that, it was a, that the business school sector in, in, in particular had become much more competitive in the last five or six years. Places like Stanford and Wharton and Chicago had invested heavily in marketing and branding, um, and they were positioning themselves largely against Harvard Business School, which you know, was still the lead school in the space. Uh, so if we weren't out there actively telling our story, if we weren't out there creating the image that we wanted people to have for the school, then uh, they were going to do it for us, and probably not in the way we would want. Um, so that's really why you know, I think uh, the dean at the time, Jay Light, uh, had the foresight to, to uh, broaden the scope of this role. My predecessor was focused more, I think, on communications and media relations than on marketing and communications in an integrated fashion, and uh, rewrote the job description and, um, and uh, brought me in, and I'm very happy to be here. It's a terrific place, and it's really exciting to be at, at really a world-class brand. Uh, and, and that it is. You know, speaking of that, before we go into sort of the three main units at Harvard that um, that you, you you work with mm-hmm. and uh, for, um, I have a question. That when I view sort of the top tier business schools, uh, they all seem to have a core competency. Like, uh, and whether I'm right, you know, whether it's right or wrong, I get finance out of Wharton, or I get you know marketing out of Kellogg. And mm-hmm. what is what is HBS is, you know, sort of raising to tech, you know, the, 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 the real core of their positioning. I mean, if you look at our mission, um, it's uh, pretty simple. We educate leaders who make a difference in the world. So it really is about, uh, you know, educating leaders in the broadest sense. We use a, we don't have a, a functional specialty here. We, we teach general management. And that means that we try to give our students the broadest range of skill set possible so that they're learning about all of the kinds of functions that, you know, a CEO would need to know if they were making a complex decision about their business. So it's, you know, it's general management and, and um, you know, and that's in the interest of, of giving people a broad set of tools to use in making hard decisions, um, which CEOs do on a day-to-day basis. Speaking of CEOs, I have to ask you this question. I don't mean to put you on the spot, but you know, of, of the Fortune or Global 500, how many CEOs you think have a Harvard Business School degree? Uh, I don't know the exact number. I, you know, we actually we we get this list every year, and we look across it, and we do kind of you know um, we do a head count, and we're always well represented. I think it suffice to say that we're always well represented. For me, what I thought was, you know, was an interesting exercise was when President Obama was in India recently, and he was there um, speaking to a delegation of Indian business leaders, but also uh, Western business leaders, U.S. business leaders who had come there to to uh, develop sort of collaborative programs. Uh, there was a picture of him, uh, you know, standing on a dais, and he was surrounded by some of these business leaders. And of the 12 or so people that were in that shot, uh, I think six or seven of them were Harvard Business School graduates. Um, wow. So to me, that's indicative of kind of the global uh, stature that the school has and the fact that, you know, we've been able to to educate people who go on to have success in all parts of the world and leading all kinds of organizations. Um, so so that was kind of powerful. You have, um, you know, sort of three, I guess, main responsibilities. You know, we've we been talking a little bit about the MBA program. Um, you also have the executive education division. And... And Harvard Business School Publishing, you know, these are categories that are both complementary but also very different. I mean, mm-hmm. the publishing world, as you know, is changing radically. 
you know, what are some of the unique challenges you, you all are facing with both these marketing these individual units, but also how do you sort of integrate it into one brand to help to, you know, sort of to form a together look? Yeah, and I would actually add a fourth. So those three are correct, and there's also a fourth group, which is the group that markets and communicates to all of our alumni. So we've got 75,000 oh, okay. plus alumni in the world, and that's a, a major, uh, an important audience for us. So, you know, one of the challenges of, of marketing uh, in a higher ed environment, uh, generally speaking, is that you you run the age gamut, right? You're, you're marketing to prospective students who are 17, 16, 17, 18 years old at an, at an undergraduate level, uh, and then to alumni who could be 80 or 90 or even older than that. So you're really covering a wide range of people with a different set of experiences, uh, people who went to your institution when, you know, uh, in the 1970s or 80s, it's a very different experience than the students that are here today are having. Uh, so everybody comes at it with their own perspective. And in addition to that, you've got to, you, you've got to keep in mind um, the business, in our, in our case anyway, the business community, um, the academic community for, for bringing future faculty members here. Um, so there's, a, there's the, the variability of audience um, makes it challenging. And then when you look at the businesses that we have here, so publishing and exec ed um, are largely communicating to the same audience. Um, and oftentimes they're communicating about complementary offerings. Sometimes they compete with each other. So uh, there's, there's always that tension that exists between those things. Um, you know, part of, uh, part of my role where I sit, we have a, a decentralized approach here. So there's a marketing group in each of those areas that you mentioned. And then there's my central group. And it's a little bit like a hub and spoke system. But part of what, what I try to do is keep my eye on all of those different areas and what they're doing and, and try to find um, areas of commonality where they can work together uh, and hopefully, you know, because they're collaborating, get more leverage out of whatever efforts they're putting together. At the same time, it's, it's important that I make sure that we're not in conflict with each other, that the messages are as aligned as they possibly can be, that the people that are heading marketing in each of those areas uh, really has a deep understanding of the, the overall strategy of the school and what the dean wants us to achieve. Um, and, and so it's my job to communicate that to them as well. It's, it's very much like the role that a chief marketing officer would play in a company that has multiple business units. Uh, all of the same sets of challenges exist there. How have you, you know, in your time there, how have you watched, um, I'm interested in this because my audience has heard other CMOs talk about <laughs> this evolving you know, sort of use of different media and different platforms, you know, so I don't want to focus on social quite yet. We'll do that in a minute. But, you know, how have you seen sort of things change from, you know, the actual tools and platforms and things from social to advertising to events? What's sort of the mix that you're you're seeing emerge even more for 2011? Yeah, you know, I wish I could say that that um, the new things have replaced the old things, but it doesn't seem to be working out that way, which means that everything is additive, right? So if I go back to, you know, early in my career, I started out at a small database advertising agency when, you know, at, when database advertising was still kind of in its infancy. Uh, and and the tools and the kinds of things that you needed to know back then were things like postal codes and what you know bulk mailing rates were and so there was a whole set of sort of technical information that you needed to know to give your clients good advice in that kind of a setting uh, and what I see today if I look at it is there's you know there's still a whole set of technical information that you need it's just that now it's different technical stuff 
you need to understand search engine optimization and how Google Ads works and all those kinds of things. Um, so I think that you know, for people who are in a marketing communications role, um, you need to understand. You need to understand how to leverage all those different channels in a complementary way, um, because in point of fact, advertising is still uh, an important part of our mix here. We still do a lot of print advertising. We still do direct mail. Um, you know, we are still um, uh, we're producing videos and we're producing other kinds of new content that can be deployed through digital channels. Um, but the, I think the challenge is to find a way to knit all of those things together so that. Um, so that they're complementary uh, and they're not working against each other. Yeah, I did I, last night in preparation for this. I, there's just loads of YouTube videos. I don't even know if you some I, I were obvious you didn't guys didn't make, but <laughs> there was also some really interesting ones and thoughtful uh -huh. ones. So yeah, yeah. I mean, so um, we're. I think the the other thing that that does is it puts a a different kind of strain on staffing, right? Um, because uh, on the one hand, in the marketing realm, uh, my experience has always been that it's great to bring in people who can do a lot of things, and I think that is very true these days. But you also increasingly need people who are specialists of one kind or another. So we're trying to figure out how to produce videos uh, in a way that they can be easily deployed uh, on YouTube and on iTunes U and places like that. We're not experts at that. Um, so it, it, that that creates a different set of challenges where, geez, I've got to find a way to staff all these different functions now. Do I outsource it? Do I bring somebody in? You know, How do I think about that? We were, uh, it's funny, I was at General Electric a few uh, weeks ago, and we were talking to their marketing folks about you know how to start to organize more properly using a platform like a YouTube. I don't know why that's in my head right now, but it's, you know, they were thinking, you know, why not have, you know, decide on 12 part series and each of them is two minutes and, you know, and instead of just anybody that wants to make one, make one. I, you think that's going against the principles of social media or do you think we'll evolve to having a little more of that, you know, professionalism and, and, uh, and, you know, polish in our, in our approach to social I think you need both, actually. So, you know, we've actually talked about what's the right sort of mix here uh, in terms of uh, the, the, the sort of media that we're putting out there. And, you know, part of the reason that YouTube might be on your mind is because the, the, the usage of it has just gone through the roof. I mean, the last, the, the last stat that I was aware of was that I, I think it was as far back as April that there were 30 billion videos uh, viewed on YouTube in the month of April in 2010. <laughs> I mean, that's just, you can't even put your mind around that number. It's so. Yeah, it's astounding. So, you know, we're in a community here where, uh, on the one hand, uh, there's great authenticity to allowing our students and people in our community to put their own content um, on our sanctioned websites because uh, they can tell the story about Harvard Business School in a much more credible way uh, than, than we could, you know, as the official marketing voice of the school. Uh, at the same time, you know that the quality of that content is going to be variable, like you experienced last night. And sometimes there are pretty specific things you want to communicate. Um, so uh, I think it's also reasonable to have you know, prof more professionally polished material that, that's appearing alongside that other stuff. And, and people will be able to tell the difference between the two, and that's okay. Uh, but oftentimes you want to be able to convey some specific sets of information, and the only way you can do it is to do it in, in a much more uh, sort of professional, polished way. Hey, um, before we take a break, I, I got to ask you, uh, you know, about uh, dealing with uh, probably your institution above many has what I would call many of the rock star business professors. They've written numerous books. They they talk and 
you know, command uh, great fees, et cetera. They market themselves. Uh, how is it working with the likes of, you know, uh, you know, the Clay Christensen's and the and the Michael Porter's, these legends of business, and and how do you weave them into the Harvard brand? Well, I mean, that's part of what makes this brand such a world-class brand is people like, you know, Mike Porter and Clay Christensen and Rosabeth Montcanner who have been, um, who have sort of become their own brands over the years, and we get, you know, the benefit of all of their great work and their great thinking. Uh, and I will tell you, they're wonderful people. So, you know, I, when I first came here, I, I, I won't, uh, you know, hesitate to tell you that I was um, a little concerned about, you know, working with people who had accomplished so much who were sort of rock stars in their own right and you know would they uh have sharp elbows and uh you know would they be difficult to deal with and i have found it to be absolutely to the contrary they are uh terrific people they love uh harvard business school and they will do anything they can uh to help promote it so you know we get the benefit of all the things that they're already doing and it makes our lives uh, in a lot of ways a lot easier I think the challenge there is how do you keep up with somebody like Mike Porter who is just so uh, high energy and is working on so many things around the world. You know, one of our challenges is how do we how do we make sure that we're aware of what he's doing so that we can we can leverage it properly. Now I've actually got somebody on my team whose job it is to be kind of the liaison to all of those uh, senior faculty. So he spends a lot of time reaching out to them and and working with them to make sure that we're taking advantage of all their good work. What a great experience. Hey, uh, we're going to take a short commercial break right now. Please stand by, everybody, and we'll be right back with Brian Kenny, Chief Marketing and Communications Officer at Harvard Business School, right away back on Market Edge. Market Edge will continue in just a moment. Celebrating the best in online advertising, the Web Marketing Association presents the 2011 Internet Advertising Competition Awards. Submit your banner ads, email ads, rich media, online newsletters, websites, and social media campaigns now by going to www.iacaward.org. Deadline for entries is January 28, 2011. All winners will have their entry highlighted on the Internet Advertising Competition website as well as receive a handsome trophy to display or a personalized certificate of achievement. Be honored among your online advertising peers by submitting your entry today into the Web Marketing Association's 2011 IAC Awards. Go to www.iacaward.org now. Think about it. You worked so hard with your existing clients. How much time do you have every day to recruit more clients, expand your business, and add more value to your service? Let WebmasterRadio.fm do the work for you. We're the premier business-to-business on-air and on-demand podcast network with shows like SEO Rockstars, SEO 101, and SEM Synergy. We can tailor an ad campaign that includes 30 seconds every hour and a 30-minute special every month. Plus, the banner ads and links you need to reach our built-in audience and our legions of loyal listeners and podcasters. What you charge in hours for service is all it takes to get started on the fast lane to growing your business. Contact sales at webmasterradio.fm for consultation today. What is this? Why is my website not ranking higher? Sounds like you could use a link building report from SEOfox.com. What's that? 
you can't rank without good backlinks. And SEOfox.com's link building report lets you enter domains and compare their backlinks. It gives a detailed report that shows you why each domain ranks where it does, and it reduces the time it takes to find more links. With SEOfox.com's link building report, you can find more links, use their search marketing services to find more links, or better yet, they could even build your own backlinks. So you think you're pretty sly with that SEO Fox link building report. <laughs> sly like a fox. Get your link building report today at seofox.com. That's seofox.com. CEO Coach, Mondays at 1 p.m. Eastern, 10 a.m. Pacific, or on demand anytime inside the Culture and Business Channel, only on webmasterradio.fm. From the pinnacle of the marketing landscape, we now return to Market Edge. Once again, here's your host, Larry Weber. Welcome back to Market Edge. This is your host, Larry Weber, and I'm here today with Brian Kenny, Chief Marketing and Communications Officer at Harvard Business School, talking about a variety of things. I'd like to dive a little more deeply into social media right now, since that's been a big topic for um, our group this year, Brian. Would you say that, you know, First, I have sort of a general question, not to, to you and Harvard. I, it's more from your own expertise. Do you think the marketing department is the one primary place that should be managing social media programs? That would be one. And then I'd like you to sort of dive into what you guys have been doing the last year or, or 18 months, um, you know, to maybe not dip your toe, but start to use the advantages that social media, you know, offer in branding and marketing and education. Mm-hmm. So I'll start with your first question. Do I think marketing should be the ones to to manage it? And I would uh, I would differentiate between managing and owning something. Um, so if the question is, you know, is there is there one place in a company that should at least have their eye on uh, what the company is doing overall or the organization is doing overall in the area of social media? I think the answer to that is yes. And I think that marketing is the best and most logical place to have that oversight role. Um, but in terms of actually owning, um, you know, what's happening and the specific messaging in each of those areas, um, I don't think that that should be um, heavily managed by by marketing. I think that should live within the function. So if we're talking about a customer service organization, for instance, um, I think one of the great things that social media does is that it allows uh, you know people to engage directly with an organization in a way that they couldn't before. And if you're if you're going to do that, you don't want to go through a third party. So in a customer service setting, you know Best Buy is a great example of a company that really empowers its employees um, to to work directly uh, using Twitter, as a matter of fact, in a customer service orientation. We actually do that here in the exec ed area, where um, Twitter is used by our exec ed team exclusively for customer service, um, and that works really well. So I think that, um, and what we're trying to do, generally speaking, and I think what a lot of organizations are trying to do is get comfortable with the idea of of stepping back and empowering their uh, the people in their organizations to use these social media tools to connect with customers, uh, to tell the story, um, you know, in a different way, um, and to give people a different experience. Um, so yeah, I mean, I think it's I think it's empowering, but it's also scary. And one of the things I've been telling people since I got here is that we really have to get comfortable being uncomfortable um, because that's the way it's going, right? Yeah. I mean, you know, it's it, social media forces you to give up some control, and then that's that's a tough thing, especially in the business world. Mm-hmm. You know? so. Hey, I saw that you were a keynote speaker this past summer at the Social Convergence 
an enterprise conference where you said that uh, we cannot connect with social media unless we understand, quote, and I quote you, the sociology of social media. Mm -hmm. What do you mean by that, Brian, and, and how is it different from the sociology of traditional media? Well, I mean, I think what what different. So I'll start with the first question first, I guess. Um, what I mean by it is that you you can't let the technology drive your social media strategy. I think um, we're all guilty of keeping our eye, you know, on the horizon and trying to see what the next Twitter is, right? You know, what's the next emerging technology that we need to know about, and how do we need to engage with it? And it's, I think that's the wrong way. What's that? I was going to say it looks like it's couponing at the moment with Groupon. Yeah, exactly, exactly. So, so I think it's easy to lose sight of um, the real uh, purpose of social media, which is to engage with your customers or clients uh, in a social setting, and that means understanding what they're doing when they're online. So, the sociology of how they behave when they're online. And we've got a faculty member here. His name is Mishak Piskorsky, um, who who, do, who draws a nice diagram. It's really simple. It's a triangle. And in the top, uh, you know, of the triangle, he's got sociology, and then in the left corner, he's got strategy, and in the right corner, he's got technology. And the point is that it's really the sociology that should drive your strategy, and then your strategy should drive your technology choices. Yeah, um, it's really simple, right? Yeah. I mean, you know, it's it's interesting because I worked with a couple professors out of the media lab and the lab for computer science at MIT, and they were consistently saying that we've got it all backwards, just like your professor said that, you know, technology should be our slave. It's it's something that helps us get something done. Yeah, yeah. Well, and for us that means, that, so we had to make some choices as we were, and I would be uh, uh, not completely truthful if I said to you that we sat down and said, let's develop a social media strategy. We sort of backed into it because, in point of fact, social media was happening in each of those areas that we talked about before um, in, in little fits and starts. So what we tried to do as a central group was say, okay, what is this, what's happening across the school in Facebook and in LinkedIn and in Twitter and in these other social channels, and how can we find a way to connect all those efforts together? Uh, and, you know, and for us, that meant understanding what our, each of our groups was, was doing in social and what their clients were doing with social, and then making a choice about, you know, do we want to create new communities or do we want to go where our, where our clients and customers already live? Um, right. And, you know, so, so it's those kind of, and once you understand what people are doing with it, it makes it easier to make those kinds of choices. Uh, and for us, it meant, you know, going where, where people already lived and where communities already existed rather than trying to create communities from whole cloth. Yeah, I think one thing I've been noticing out there on the, on the road with, with clients and potential clients is their actually attraction to going where there already are communities. But let's also, when we do our own thing, don't try to reinvent the entire universe. Let's, you know, get more micro-segmented, more specific ideas uh, for digital destinations and communities that, you know, don't have to, you know, be crushed by their own weight like the Soviet Union. You know? Right, right. <laughs> hey, uh, off social for a minute, one yeah. thing I've been uh, writing about and looking at is, Five billion mobile applications being downloaded in 2010. Wow! Up, up from 300 million in 2009. What advice would you give to marketers that have yet to jump on the mobile marketing bandwagon? <laughs> well, I would say um, they shouldn't hesitate much longer. I mean, I think anybody who's sort of sitting on the sidelines waiting to see what's going to happen with mobile is probably missing some good opportunities. Yeah. Um, 
you know, we are, I think we are consciously and hopefully strategically uh, figuring out how we want to step into mobile here. Um, we've already got some apps that uh, that we developed in both in the publishing realm and in the exec ed realm that I think are um, you know have become popular quickly. Um, you know the the publishing apps that we use are specific to HBR content, uh, and those are available to um, to everybody for download. The exec ed apps we started actually with internal facing apps that. Um, our exec ed participants could use when they came to campus, and it, it uh, gave them a roster of the participants they were going to be in class with. It gave them access to course materials. Uh, it gave them taped versions of all of the cases so that if they were in the gym, you know, before they came here and they wanted to get uh, sort of uh, get ahead of the studies, they could listen to all the cases before they got here. So it's those, that kind of material that we, we thought was going to be particularly useful, um, and we continue to expand on those kind of apps. And then for us, the question became, um, do we want to develop more apps for download, or we, do we want to develop, uh, you know, mobile websites? Um, and we've decided to go the mobile website route because uh, we think that's going to be the most important thing that people are going to be looking for from us is information uh, that they can get online about the school that already exists uh, and then put that in a mobile format to make it easy for them. That sounds cool. Hey, what else is looking forward to 2011? What's on your what's on your plate besides the, you know, sort of the mobile app? Um, what are you guys looking at to have in the mix? Well, I think broadly speaking, social media continues to be a huge uh, focus for us and, and specifically the area of content creation. Um, so we talked earlier about video content creation. I think that's. I think the appetite for video is only going to increase as bandwidth gets better on the internet, uh, and more and more people find devices that are portable where they can where they can watch video. Um, so we want to we want to actually start looking at creating some original programming um, that can be deployed across YouTube and across iTunes U. Which, if your listeners aren't familiar with that, that's a, a great section on the. Apple iTunes Store, where you can um, where you can go and get access to information from. At this point, I think over 300 universities post content up there, um, and a lot of it's most of it, I think, is free of charge. Um, in fact, and there's everything from sort of full course lectures to uh, podcasts and all kinds of other content. So we need to start thinking about how we can populate those sorts of channels um, with material. Cool. Hey, two more questions. Uh, yeah. One is one is. Uh, you know, a very tactical one, but I like asking people in your your background and now what you're doing. Controversy around the U.S. News and World Report listings, and now there's so many other groups, Forbes.com, and others are trying to break into this. What's your view? You know, sitting on top of probably the most famous and highest quality business uh, business school operation there of these uh, of these lists. Do they help? They hurt? Are are we looking at it too black and white? You know, I don't think they hurt. Um, I think that they're useful to the extent that, uh, and anybody who's ever sent a child to college uh, has probably benefited from them to the extent that it allows you to quickly compare a number of schools, you know, across a number of important areas, and they just line all that data up for you. And, and that in and of itself, I think, is very useful. So if you're looking at going to business school and you're trying to decide among four or five or six schools about which ones to apply to, those are great sources of data, really. You can look at, at numbers of students and numbers of courses and all kinds of other information that they provide you. I think where they potentially become 
I don't know, a distraction, um, is, is if people are using it to really drive their decision. Uh, because you really can't learn about the character of an institution uh, through a ranking. You, you have to do more research and more work than that. And I really believe that the kinds of students who are applying to places like Harvard and Stanford and Wharton, um, you know, they're, they're smart enough to know that there is, uh, that that's one data point, that the rankings methodologies are not uh, scientifically foolproof. Um, in fact, you know, there's inconsistencies even among and between the different rankings, and that um, their best bet is to use that as one piece of information, but also to go and visit the schools and to talk to people who have gone there and to really get a full picture of, of what the school's like. Hey, your Twitter account, at HBSCMO, yeah. that audience mentions you are a songwriter by night, any chance we'll see a Billboard Top 100 hit in the future by Brian Kenny? Oh, God, I wish, Larry. I'm a frustrated songwriter. I don't know if I put the <laughs> word frustrated in there. Uh, you know what? I, music has always been a part of my life and always will be, but I long ago, uh, I think, accepted the fact that there are a lot of people that are a lot better at it than I am. Brian Kenny, Chief Marketing and Communications Officer at Harvard Business School, fascinating man at a fascinating job. Thanks for being part of Market Edge today, Brian. Thank you, Larry. I really enjoyed it. And thanks, everyone in the audience, for listening to today's conversation. Visit webmasterradio.fm any noontime Eastern on Tuesdays to tune into the new podcast that appear on Market Edge. This is Larry Weber. Till next time, thanks a lot. Bye-bye.